Praise God. I want to just take a few moments today. I'm terrible, very terrible. I have this bad habit. I try to just do what Jesus has for me to do. And so Jesus is not usually good on holiday messages. So I'm not very, I don't have a very good Mother's Day, you know, great Mother's Day themed message, even though today there are some Mother's Day things we can take out of it. But I want to just draw your attention this morning. You can remain seated to a passage of scripture. I've preached several times now over the last month and a half uh, from the Gospel of John. And I think it's very important. And give me a moment, if you would. Some of you are new here today, and some of you have heard me give my little speech. But I think it's important to understand this for some that are new today. Uh, First and foremost, um, the New Testament uh, is a very unique book from the standpoint that... uh, Uh, The New Testament, that the Gospels, as we call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that were written about the life and times of Jesus Christ, uh, were not written and distributed the moment that Jesus died and was resurrected. Uh, As funny as it sounds, uh, Jesus did not ascend into heaven, and then Matthew, Mark, and Luke turn around and start passing out copies of their book. Read this, take this, get your copy here, here... It didn't happen that way. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were, were written somewhere around 30-plus years, 20 to 30 years, give or take a few, maybe even a little longer than that, after the death of Jesus Christ. And so uh, the, the gospel uh, that we have, the New Testament, and if you don't know your Bible, the Bible is divided into two halves. You have the Old Testament, that is 39 books. You have the New Testament, that's 27 books. The New Testament... and and really the Old Testament as well, the order in which we read it is not the order in which it was written. And so why is that important? Because the Gospel of John is more than likely the last book, if not not the last book, it's next to last of the books that were written in the Bible. And more than likely, the Gospel of John, even though it is in the middle of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel of John was written some 70 plus years, 75 years after the events that took place in the gospel. So I used this before, but allow me to use it again. It'd be as if someone today who served in World War II or the Korean War was sitting down trying to write the events that happened uh, 70 plus years ago. Um, Why is that important? It's important because if you're going to write something that long, Ago, and even though you're writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, you're going to remember and you're going to recount the most important things that you can think of, that you feel. Not only that, but you know there's always already been Matthew, already been Mark, already been Luke written. And your gospel is going to tell a story that you feel like is important. And so why is that the case? Why is that important? Well, we start off in John chapter 1. John says, in the beginning, in the beginning, Adam, uh, 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 Matthew traces Jesus all the way back to uh, Abraham. Luke traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. But when John writes his gospel, he traces Jesus to the very beginning of everything. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it goes into all of that. And then the very next chapter, 
John doesn't give us a lot of, John doesn't give us the background like the others do about the birth and Herod and all the stuff that you read about and the wise men and all this stuff. John jumps right into it. And John gives us a a very, as we, we would say today, a very famous miracle because everyone knows of this miracle. But John starts off his script, his, his book with this miracle. And I think it's important when you start to look at it why he chose to do this. So let's go there if you would. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, we'll give it to you here on the screen. John chapter 2 and verse number 1. And the third day... There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, i got to be honest with you for a second. Let me pause here because this is very important. The King James, in my opinion, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I, in my opinion, I think the King James totally misinterprets this verse. Because if you read this, now I don't know if you read it this way, this is how I read this verse, okay? It said, Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I had to do with thee? Sort of like, really, Mom, leave me alone. But that's actually not what he said. Because if you understand, and I don't know the Greek language, so I'm reading what someone else tells me about the Greek language. The word woman there is not the word woman as a derogatory kind of annoyance, but that word there is the highest word of honor that you can give to your mother. So when he turns to her, he does not say an annoyance, woman, what do I have to do with thee? He turns to his mother and and a way of honoring her and a way of, of, of acknowledging who she is, he looks at her and he says, dear woman, what can I do for you? It wasn't something of annoyance. It was something of compassion and honor. Why is that important? I'll tell you why that's important. First and, first and foremost, what's important about this is, we can find it next verse. Here's what it says. His mother said in the servant, whatever he says Unto you to do, do it. You notice Mother's Day, and this is not a Mother's Day message, but can I throw a little Mother's Day in here for a minute? Mothers, you will always see things in your children before they do. And mothers, you have to believe in your child before they believe in themselves. And you need to tell them what you see. You need to speak things. If life and death is in the power of the tongue, then moms, you have the ability to speak things into your children's life. You say, well, I don't see the benefit of it. It may not see the benefit today, but what you speak into that life. And Mary saw things in Jesus. She knew who he was and saw things in Jesus. But the most important thing is when he turns to her and says, dear woman, what can I do for you? is that as we begin to peel back the layers of this scripture in a cultural way, we find most people agree on this, most scholars that I read agree on this, is that somehow, some way, Mary was related to this marriage. 
Whether she was related to the bride, related to the groom, we do not know. But somehow it seems to be there was some kind of relation there with Mary and this family. And because of that, more than likely, she was probably involved in the wedding. To know what was going on and to know the, the, the situation and the food was running out, she had to somehow not just be a casual observer, but somehow she was in the, in the planning of this. And to a greater extent, culturally, the groom and the father of the groom was to provide the wine... And a celebrant, and if you did, if you somehow ran out, it would bring shame to the marriage and shame to the family. And so when Mary came to him, and my deal, and again, I can't say it's 100%, the Bible doesn't say, so it's a little bit of speculation, but if we put some of the pieces together, I can see Mary coming to him with what Sister Wright talked about today, with in a lot of ways was a very small thing. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about the fact that they just ran out of stuff to drink at a wedding. But Jesus' response to her was a response out of compassion because he knew that because of what was going on that eventually it was going to reflect on her because if she was a part of dealing with the wedding and they ran out, then somehow part of the shame was going to fall on his own mother. And his desire to help her, he reached out and said, what can I do for you? What can I do? I know today that most of us, and even those of us today that come here every day, and even I who stand before you today, even I sometimes forget and sometimes need to be reminded that he really does care about the small things. i got to give you a little bit of a testimony and a little bit of a confession at the same time. Two weeks ago on a Monday night was my son's birthday. And so to celebrate that birthday, we decided because he, is a, he, loves, he loves baseball, anything sports related. And honestly, I, this is the truth. I didn't force that on him. Even though I'm a big sports guy, I didn't do that. He just, it just was born in him. And so he loves that. So his birthday, we decided to take him to the Bowie Bay Sox game. And so we, uh, we go down there, and, and uh, I had purchased tickets beforehand online, and so uh, I got there, and I had to go to the, the, the ticket counter to, to receive my tickets. And I walk up, and the lady asked me for my, uh, for my ID, and I remember taking my ID out, and I remember putting my ID back. And from there, we literally we walked into the stadium, walked to our seats, I did not move all night long. Did not get up, did not move all night long. My wife took the kids to get something to eat. My wife took the kids to the bathroom. I sat in our seats the entire time. And when I got up at the end of the game to walk out, I'm walking out, and we're about to, we're about to get out of the stadium, and I reach down to, to get my key out, and I go, I don't know where my wallet is. And I figure, well, it's a big deal. It has to be with my seat. I didn't move all night. We go down. We're looking. Nothing. Can't find anything. Nothing. Can't find my wallet anywhere. So then we start speculating, right? You kind of get into panic mode. You start speculating. I'm thinking, okay, it fell out of my wallet. And we, had, we got some pizza for the kids. It fell into a pizza box. 
and in the, in the throwing it away, it's in the trash. So what do you do when you lost your wallet in the trash? Oh, yes. You will be going dumpster diving. So there we are in the stadium, and I'm looking through the trash. And look in trash can number one, I find nothing. Look in trash can number two, I find nothing. I'm looking in trash cans we weren't even near. I'm just looking. Now I looked in all the trash cans, couldn't find anything. And then we're like, well, maybe there was a guy sitting behind me. Maybe it fell out. And so I went, we found that guy. I walked up to him and said, sir, do you, find my, do you see a wallet? No, I didn't see a wallet. Well, either you're a good liar or you're being honest. I don't know. So then there was a very nice lady my wife found that was the head of the stadium, head of stadium operations, and we found her, and she was very sweet, very kind. She was very concerned. She helped us look. She went back in. We looked for more. Where We got one of the workers there. He helped empty out the trash. Could not find my wallet. Gave her my information and uh, said, listen, if you if we find it, we'll give you a call. Said, okay, great. I didn't really have much hope, much faith at the time. And uh, we get home, and because I uh, work for the church, I have several uh, credit cards that I carry that are church-related and only church-related and also have, a, have some other things in there that are very important that are related to the church that I carry. And I'm, like, in total panic mode because this is one of the confessions uh, that would be wallet number four in the last eight years. So, yes, thank you very much. So anyways, I get home and we have no wallet and no phone call. We wake up the next morning and I'm sitting there sort of depressed. And the Spirit of the Lord raised up in my wife and she said, uh, have you prayed about it? And here I am, I'm supposed to be, you know... And I said, you know what? No, I haven't. She said, why didn't you pray about it? Because I'm like, you know, it was my own dumb fault. And I'm like, I feel stupid asking God to clean up what I, I you know, that's what my, okay, it was my, that was my fault. I'm like, I did something stupid. So I'm asking God, God, I did it stupid. Can you go find my wallet? It's going to like, God's my, my errand. And she began to, through the Lord, talk to me and work on me and said, He's your father. Ask him. Pray him. He concerns about it. So after I got over my pride, she stepped out of the room for something, and I decided, okay, Lord, I got to get over this pride, release this pride to you. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, okay, I believe you are my father. I believe you do care. And even though I believe this is a stupid and silly thing that was my fault, somehow I'm just a moron, and this is wallet number four in eight years, I said, Lord, you are my father, and I, I would really appreciate if you help me find my wallet. <laughs> would you please help me somehow find my wallet? Would you please help? And I'm telling you the truth. Ten minutes later, I get a call on my phone I didn't recognize the number, and I'm not somebody who just, I don't like talking on the phone, so I don't just pick up my phone at random numbers. Because nowadays, I don't know, I don't know how you are, cell phones now become, telemarketers are taking over cell phones. I don't want to hear about some, like, you know, come cut your lawn. I was like, forget that, I'm not answering. So I let it go to voicemail on the side, let me just see what it was. And it was a guy on the voicemail that said, Sir, Mr. Wright, we uh, have a wallet here with a bunch of credit cards in it, and it belongs to you. If you would come down to the stadium, we'll retrieve it. For, we'll give it to you. 
So I decided this was okay, Lord. So I said, what? I told my wife, we found the wallet. We decided to go down to the stadium to get the wallet. Just then we got in the car, drove down there and, and got there. And for some crazy reason, I don't know because it's minor league baseball, they were having an 11, an 11 o'clock game. We got down there about 1030. It was people already there. And we walked up to the stadium. And lo and behold, guess who was standing there? Right there in the front was the lady that helped us the night before. So I walked up to her. I said, ma'am, do you remember me last night? I lost my wallet. She goes, oh, yeah. She says, I'm so sorry. We could not find that. We looked everywhere. I said, they found it. She goes, they did? She said, no one told me. She said, who found it? I said, I don't know. Someone called me and told me. Some guy named John said, come get your wallet. I said, I don't know. She goes, let's go find out. I want to know. We walk into the, the main office. She takes me into the main office there, the general manager and all the people that are the main people there. She said, this man lost the wallet. Someone here found it. Who found the wallet? And whoever was out without an office, we don't know. We said, well, look on the desk. Looked on the desk, and lo and behold, there it was. She, she picked it up, and all it said was, Joel Wright, section 115, row D. She said, where to find it? She goes, that's where they found it. She said, no, they didn't. She said, I looked there. I looked there. It wasn't there. They said, we don't know what to tell you. It says it was there. That's where it was. We don't know where it came from. Here it was. And I can tell you, honestly, today's world, not one credit card was taken. I had to do some serious repenting. Because I realized I do have a heavenly father. that cares not just about the things in my life that are heaven and hell things. Not just about the fact, Lord, I just had a bad thought, forgive me. Lord, you know, I just shot somebody and I need you to forgive me. He cared enough about a silly, stupid mistake that I made that somehow I lost my wallet because I have a father who cares. He was watching out for me. And Jesus looked at his mother and said, it may not be a big deal to everybody else, but because it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to me. What can I do for you today. I wonder in this place today how many of us are carrying things that Jesus would help us out with today but our attitude is I don't really think He cares about this because it's really not a big deal. How many of you mothers in here today are carrying the weight of your child but your attitude is I don't know if He really cares about it today. It's just what I have to do. I'm a mother. I'm asking you as was said before a few minutes ago why don't you just give him an opportunity. You know what? I had to. I had to give my pride a check. I had to say, God, forgive me because I'm a little prideful to ask of you this. But Lord, I'm asking you. You know what? You may have to say, look, I got a little bit of pride. I don't want to ask this. Maybe you've made some mess of some things and you don't feel like you have the, the, have, you're worthy enough to ask God to clean up your mess. Why don't you give him a shot? And she turned and said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And verse 6 says this, And there were six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. We'll get back to the importance of that. And Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots. 
And they filled them up to the brim. And then they sent them dry out and bare the governor of the feast. And they bare it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made with wine and knew not whence it, wa- whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and, sa- and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when all men are well drunk, that which was worse, but thou hast kept the good until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus of Cain of Galilee manifest in his glory, and the disciples believed on him. Go back just a second here, which is the important thing that I'd like to get to just for a brief moment today. Go back to verse number 6. Look what Jesus used. And there set forth six water pots of stone in the manner of the purifying the Jews. When you walked into a Jew, Jewish house, you would walk by these big, huge stone containers that would contain waters for purifying because the Jews purified themselves by washing. That's what they did. They washed their hands before they ate. They washed their feet when they turned. In fact, if you go to Mark, you'll see that Jesus was accused of by the Pharisees, he said, why don't you make your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And so we find that this was a quite interesting deal. Why did Jesus choose? Jesus never does anything by mistake. Jesus never does anything by accident. And why did John... It really doesn't lend anything to the story. Why did John tell us what kind of water pots? He could have just said, hey, I mean, come on, let's be honest. He could have said, they got water pots. Big deal. But he said, they chose to get these water pots. Why? He chose to use the thing that the Jews were using to get themselves clean in their own works and their own righteousness and doing what they thought they could do to make themselves feel better. It was what they used as a part of their ritual and their religious ways to make themselves clean. And it was said today, you can't do enough on your own to get good. You can't do enough good to outweigh your bad. It doesn't work this today. You can't live in many good days to outweigh a bad day. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, the Bible let us all know that all have sinned. Every person in here. I sin. You sin. We all sin. Every one of us in here today makes mistakes. And one mistake cannot be outdone with one act of goodness. Can't do it. One good thing cannot outweigh a bad thing. And notice what Jesus did. Jesus took the thing that they were using in their own efforts and their own ways to make themselves clean and feel good about themselves and wash away what they considered to be the things in their life that they didn't want to be. And he took those things and go to the next verse, verse number 7 and watch what he did. Verse 7, and Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Whoa, 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 time out, go back. Fill them with water. They already had water in them. How do you fill something that's already had water? What do you first got to do? (laughs) Ha ha. So you know what they did? We didn't say. You know what they did? 
He didn't tell us, but we know because you can't fill something that's filled. The first thing they did was empty out. They emptied out what was in there so that it could be filled again. And by emptying it out, it gave access for it to be filled. And watch what this says here. And they filled it to the brim. When did the miracle take place? The miracle took place when the water pots got completely filled. Not halfway filled, not partially filled, not three quarters filled. But the miracle took place when the water pots were completely filled. I've used this before, but forgive me again. Years ago when Chick-fil-A wasn't everywhere, it was only at the mall. So if you want a Chick-fil-A, you only could get it at the mall. I remember it as a teenager going to Chick-fil-A at the mall. And uh, I don't know why that particular Chick-fil-A, they don't really do it as much anymore, but that Chick-fil-A, for me, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, the one at the mall before they made it all fancy and everything. This was years ago. They had a reputation because you could go there and you could buy one of their big, large drinks. And it would drive me crazy until I figured out what was going on and I could circumnavigate it by asking them not to do it anymore. They would take that giant drink and they would fill it with about 75% ice. And so you get your 12 nuggets and your little fry and you're all excited because you get to have Chick-fil-A. And that was before you could go to drive throughs and get it and you could only go there. So it was, a, a, it was an event to get it. And we're out to get that. You get it all set and you got this big drink. It's amazing. And next thing you know, three nuggets into it, you're sipping and you hear that dreaded noise. And you're like, are you kidding me? And then, you know, you're like, look around. Did someone drink this? Did someone take my drink? I just took three sips. You're like, what in the world is going on? Is the straw broke? You pop it open. You go, my God, it's empty. But it's filled with ice. And the frustrating thing is, I paid for 32 ounces of liquid, but I got about seven. Because some God-loving Chick-fil-A-ite decided to put 40 ounces of ice in my glass and cheat me with seven ounces of liquid in a 32-ounce cup. And there's nothing frustrated, I don't know how you are, but it's nothing more frustrating to being thirsty and not having anything to drink. I know that's not good for you, but the nuggets taste better with a Coke. They don't taste better with air. I need a Coke. And when you go to get a Coke and it's not there, and because somebody decided, I'm getting it out here, I'm going to get it out, to fill up my cup that I paid $2 for with ice. So finally, I figured it out. I'm smart. I'm like, next time I go, I'd like a Coke with a little bit of ice. Because I don't want you to give me. Because you know what? A container is designed to hold a certain amount. But it's your choice what you put in that container. 
It may be designed to hold 32 ounces of liquid, but if you fill it with other stuff, you're not going to get all that in there. This right here is designed to hold 16.9 ounces of water. But if you fill it with all kinds of other stuff, you're not getting 16.9 ounces of water in here. And when you're thirsty and you need a drink and you go to get something to drink, you're going to find out real quickly what you thought you had you didn't have because you're going to run out real quick. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't go back and blame the soda fountain. I didn't go up to the counter and say, excuse me, let me see your soda fountain. I think it's broke. Sir, it's not broke. Yes, it is, because it only gave me seven ounces of liquid. I think it's broke. Sir, the fountain's working fine. It's got all the Coke you need. Then I, why do I don't have more Coke in my cup? Because I had too much stuff in my cup. It wouldn't fit. It wasn't the fountain that broke, but it was my cup that was the problem. The problem is for us, most of us in here today, the Bible says there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. But most of us that experience that don't ever get to the righteousness, peace, and joy. And we go, what's wrong? And so we look at the fountain. There's got to be something wrong. See, this Bible was only good for them back then. It's not good. We live in the 21st century. We're cool. We're sophisticated. We got iPhones and Samsungs. We don't need all that old school religion nonsense. No, there's nothing wrong with the fountain. You need to check what stuff you got in your cup. Can I just pastor for about two seconds? Do you know why some of you can only handle about one service a week? That's all you can handle. Because you got too much ice in your cup. And about one service, boy, you're filled. You go, man, this is awesome. I'm filled, overflowing. Oh, this is awesome. Oh. You're getting five ounces of liquid a week. The first thing you got to do before you can experience something from God is you got to empty out something. What is the first thing that the Bible says you do when you come to Him? Repent. Repent. There's got to be an emptying out. Why? Because He wants you to empty out so He can put something in its place. God never has you empty to leave you empty. God always lets you empty so he can fill you. But the problem is, some of you today, you got so much stuff in your life that even if your desire is for him to fill you, there's no room in your life for him to fill you. You've got stuff. You've got things. You've got cares. You've got sin. You've got pressure. You've got your own things. You've got your own stuff. You've got your own broken shame and all the other stuff that goes along with it. And so you want God to give you something. You want God, desire God to touch you today. But the bottom line is, the problem is, there's no room for God in your life. So you say, okay, preacher, what do I need to do? You've got to start somewhere empty and out, saying, God, everything I have. He said, lay down every sin and every weight. Put every thing down at my feet. Whatever you're carrying in here today, He's willing to take it. If it's a sin, from the silly sins to the great sins, from the simple sins to the big sins in your mind, even though the Bible says all sin is equal, to the big weights to the little weights, from the stubbed toes to the headaches to the broken arms. It starts by giving Him something. But when you give Him something, it's not so He can give it to you and leave you empty. He's always desired that you give Him something so that He can give you something filled in you. Because here's the problem. 
You may not be thirsty today. Somewhere along this week, somewhere along the next couple of days, life is going to get you. You're going to wake up in the morning pressure. You're going to wake up in the morning with that aching feeling in your spirit, your soul down in here, that heart, that aching memory, those thoughts that are going to flood your mind. And if you don't have a source of life to turn to, you're going to be overwhelmed with grief and fear and sorrow and sadness. But the miracle that can happen today in our lives is that we be filled with the brim. But in order to fill to the brim, we got to empty out something. It's got to start somewhere today by emptying out. I can't make you do it, and God can't even make you do it. God can't force you to do it. I can't force you to do it. Your neighbor can't force you to do it. God has reached today, and I'm, I'm finishing. Chris, if you'd come. God has reached down in this place, because this is really part two. This is, this is the second part today. Because the first part happened during worship, when God reached down in this place and spoke. He said, just give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. God is saying to somebody today, just give me a chance I said it last week, I used it last week, I'll say it again this week. The Bible says taste and see. You ever had somebody say taste it? Oh, I don't want to taste it. No, no, just try it. And what do they usually say? Try it. You might like it. And you say, well, I really want to taste it. And say, how do you know you don't like it until you tried it? You say, well, I'm here at church. Isn't that good enough, man? Come on, I'm here at church, preacher. I'm trying it. No, no, sitting here... Showing up, sucking in oxygen is not the equation of giving God a chance. Because you know what? There are going to be thousands, literally tens of thousands, even millions of people that are going to go to a church today and they're going to put in their time and they're going to leave. That's not what I'm talking about. Coming to a church, I said what, what last week or two weeks ago, coming into church doesn't make you a Christian even any more than walking to a barn makes you a horse. Doesn't work that way. My question to challenge somebody is, why don't you give God a chance? Instead of walking out of here carrying the same stuff you've carried week after week, why don't you see if God will do something with it? You say, what, you know, I got it. I, I, I'll use the silly. Let's, let's, I like to do this. Let's talk worst case scenario, okay? Worst case. Best case scenario, you bring it to God. You lay it down on his feet. Boy, you... You turn it over to Him. He gives you peace. He gives you joy. He gives you comfort. He gives you strength. You walk out of here changed. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario. You bring it to Him. You lay it down at your feet. You stand there. Nothing happens. You pick it back up and walk away. What have you lost? That's the worst thing that can happen. That's the worst. Best case scenario. Something could change in your life today forever. Worst case scenario, you're going to walk out of here the same way you came in. Not bad. You're not walking out of here worse. So if the best case scenario, if the potential is something awesome could happen in my life, 
And the only thing I have to lose is nothing? Oh, man. Who would want to take that chance? Literally, you have nothing to lose because at worst, at worst, you're going to walk out of here the same way you came in. That's as bad as it's going to get. And it may be bad, but that's it. That's it. But there is a possibility, an opportunity that you can walk out of here changed. If your heart is heavy today, at worst, you can walk out of here with a heavy heart. If your heart is broken, at worst, you can walk out of here with a broken heart. But maybe, just maybe, if you give God an opportunity, He can turn that heaviness into joy. He can turn that brokenness into healing. But the only way to find out, you got to give it a shot. That's the only way. The only way to find out is you got to give it a shot. You know what? I make it up to the plate. And that ball may come to me and I may swing with all my might and I may miss. But don't judge me. I took a shot. I may swing and I may miss. But at least I swung. I didn't stay on the bench. I may swing and not hit that ball. But that's okay. I got in the batter's box and I took a shot. I didn't stay on the bench and point out the field and say, boy, boy, those people up there, they're swinging and missing. No, 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 no. Don't judge those that are out there swinging and missing because they're on the field and they're trying. And you're sitting down there in the dugout safe and snug because you think that's where you belong and that's the best place for you. No, baby. Get on the field. Take a chance. Because one day you might swing. And you might even swing with your eyes closed. But one day, you don't know. That ball may come down to that plate. And you may have that blind swing. And you may swing with all your might. And you may have struck out one week. You may have struck out two weeks. You may have struck out three weeks. But one day, if you keep swinging. If you keep swinging. One day, that ball is going to connect with that bat and that ball is going to go flying but you'll never experience that if you're not willing to at least get up to the plate and take a swipe don't stay on the bench and be a part of the wouldas, the couldas and the shouldas don't stay on the bench and talk about what could be what should be, what may be Get on the field. You say, I may fall down and make a mistake. That's okay. At least you're in the game. At least you're playing the game. Even the best ones, even the ones in the Hall of Fame, even the ones that have posters in kids' room, they fail seven out of ten times. But they keep swinging. You say, I can't. I, what, if I give, what if I give God a chance and, 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 and He touches me, but I go out and I blow it? <laughs> Get in line! behind me because you know what I can't tell you how many times that I let God touch me but I walked out and did some kind of knucklehead thing but you know what he kept on loving he kept on loving he kept on loving he kept on loving 
So you know what? I may dance today and sin tomorrow, but I'm going to dance on Tuesday. I may sit on Wednesday, but I'm going to dance on Thursday. I may sit on Friday, but I'm going to dance on Saturday. You say that makes you a hypocrite. I say no, it doesn't make me a hypocrite. It makes me a child saved by His grace and mercy. It doesn't make me a hypocrite because I fail. It doesn't make me a hypocrite because I come here and I feel the presence of God, but I fall tomorrow. That's not what makes me a hypocrite. That's what makes me human. That's why he had a cross. That's why he went to a cross. That's why he shed blood. Because he knew I was going to make mistakes. I was going to swing and miss. I was going to fall down. But every time I fall down, he's going to be right back down next to me saying, Get up. Keep going. I'm there for you. He did not die for my perfection. He died for my imperfection. He does not love me for my perfection. He loves me for my imperfection. Because it's that imperfection that makes me say, God, I need you. I can't make it without you. If you walked in here today, I'm sorry to finish, but the Holy Ghost is talking. So if you got to go, you got to go. But if you walked in here today and you had it all right and you look so good, you'd be like, why do these people at church? They don't, I don't even need God. But for some of us that drag ourselves in here and we've been living in the muck and the mire and we've been in sin and we've been fighting things in our own life and we've been falling in our humanity and we walk in here, we lift our hands and say, God, I just want to thank you for one more opportunity to give you praise. You say that that's a hypocrite, preacher. You're living one way. No, no, no. A hypocrite is I would come in here and try to fake you out and make you think I'm somebody or not. I'm willing to tell you that I'm nothing but a sinner saved by grace. And when I walk out of here, I'm going to fall. But that does not make me a hypocrite. Because great is the grace of our Heavenly Father. And the Bible says where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. Grace doth much more abound. You say, preacher, you don't know what I'm involved in. You don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't, but he does. And guess what? You're still breathing. If it was so bad and you think God was so upset with you, you'd be original and extra crispy right now. You're not. So if that's the case, he loves you. If that's the case, He's still reaching for you. If that's the case, He wants to help you. He hasn't judged you. You're still breathing. you still got breath in your body. There's still an opportunity to let God help you today. Would you stand to me? I wonder this morning. I know it's awkward. I know we don't like to do this, but I feel to do it today because I think it's important as a reflection of your faith, as a reflection of your faith, not my faith, not the faith of the person next to you, but your faith and your faith alone can do it. You don't need my faith. My faith doesn't work for you. You can't use your person. You can't borrow, reach over and say, can I get that faith out of your purse? I need to use it. It's got to be your faith. 
But I wonder if today is anybody willing to give God a chance and bring something down and lay it down at God and say, God, I'm giving you. I don't even know if you want it, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. And why don't you lift your hands and see what God will do in return? Is there anybody willing to give God an opportunity, give God a chance? Is there really anybody willing to get up to the plate, grab a hold of the bat, and take a swing today? You may strike out, but that's okay. You got up and you swung. Is there anybody willing to get out of your seat and give God an opportunity? Come on, come down and lay something down. Come down and empty out that water pot and lift your hands and say, God, fill me to the brim today. Fill me to the brim. I'm emptying out, God, because I want you to fill me. Come on, that's it. There's been responding. Can I, can I get some brothers and sisters that would come down and pray with us? Come on, if you're not praying for yourself, would you come down and pray with us? Come on, God is doing something today. Come on, let's empty out so He can fill. Let's empty out so God can fill us.